0: Hey, good afternoon, good morning, good day, good night, good everything. Uh, Today's podcast is about the business of startups and biblically uh, addressing the elements that are the super important ones for uh, big business and small business. And uh, this is a... uh, thousand part series, I don't know. I don't know how many parts it actually is because um, every time we do them, it's uh, there's more and more to talk about so you could talk about it for a million years. But um, this is all about sharing, you know, the jewels of um, what uh, needs to happen for a successful startup to be a successful startup. And um, this is part of that series. So I hope you enjoy it. Again, it's the business of startups. Looking forward to seeing everyone at uh, a few of the upcoming events at the uh, City of Surprise at GCC uh, this January, end of January um, for the uh, Startup Pitch Contest, as well as the Pitch uh, Contest at the uh, Surprise Tech Accelerator in um, February. I think that's on February 26th. Uh, Hope you're having a great week. Welcome to the awesome up show. Awesome Up Show. Broadcasting not so live from I the Moonee Studios in beautiful will, Glendale, Arizona. It's the Awesome Up Podcast with Ron Babbitt. Ron Babich. Where we talk all things awesome in innovation, business, and great ideas. Now, here's your host, Ron Babbitt. Let's, Let's get, get it awesome. awesome. Hey, today in the podcast, we're going to talk about how startups can take advantage of what the big guys can't do and growing a small business um, with the things that you do have versus the things that you don't have. You can go where the other guys can't. Take advantage of what you have so that you can beat the competition with what they don't have. Many startups miss the lesson. They believe that great ideas and lots of energy will always triumph. So they waste dollars and years fighting the bad guys on their own turf. That's why like gourmet food businesses bug me so much. Every year like thousands of gourmet items, jams, jellies are introduced and every year thousands of them fail. Why? Because startups behind them are in love with an idea, not a business. Successful startups know that just because they can make a product doesn't mean they should. Making kettle fried potato chips from your grandmother's recipe may sound appealing, but that doesn't mean that you can grow the idea into a real business. If you're given the choice between building a thriving, profitable business with a niche and really a a boring product and putting your life savings into an intensely competitive business where you're likely to fail but the product is cool, the experienced startup will pick the former every time. If you find an industry filled with wannabe entrepreneurs with a dollar and a dream, run away and look for something else. Now, let's look at the good news. You have plenty of things that the big guys don't. Things that can give you tremendous advantages in launching a new business. Number one, nothing to lose. This is huge. It's your biggest advantage. Big, established companies are in love with the old, established ways. They have employees with huge stakes in maintaining the status quo. How many of the great railroad companies got into the airline business? Zero. Even though they could, and they could have completely owned the new mode of transportation, they were too busy protecting their old turf to grab the new turf. Whenever a market or technology changes, there's this huge opportunity for new business. The number one website on the internet isn't run by the old Ziff Davis publication or the original Microsoft. It's run by upstart startups that are different people. Don't underestimate the power of brand. Be happy with a small fish. In the ocean, the first animals to die are the big fish. That's because they need a lot to eat to be happy. The small guys, the plankton, They can make do with the crumbs, and the same is true with you. Disney can't be happy with a movie that earns less than $40 million at the box office. And if you compare this to a startup in Vermont that made a kid's video a while back uh, called The Road Construction Ahead, they were super happy that they made $100,000. And think about the order of magnitude here at work here. Uh, A $40 million box office movie is 400 times 100000 Just imagine all the room there is in small business that operates under the radar of the giant. Find a niche, not a nation. Costco can choose from hundreds of different shrimp suppliers, and it comes from the same ocean. But it only deals with three firms. In many companies, the president has no trouble getting things done. When Jack Welch at General Electric wanted the the ice maker on the new fridge to be quieter, you can bet the people in the engineering department, they paid attention to what he was saying. And when Jack wants to have a meeting with some key customers in Detroit, odds are they're going to make time for him. He's the president of a whole company. But in big companies, the president is removed from the action. GE has tons and thousands of employees and only one Jack Walsh. He's surrounded by people with their own agendas. He rarely gets to change the whole company. The other day, one of our employees flew to Chicago. He had a special fare ticket, and he knew that the options might be restricted. But he got to the airport four hours early for his flight back, and another flight was virtually empty, leaving in 15 minutes. Ted asked if he could fly standby. And after all, the flying was back to there anyways. It was empty. And it would cost the airline exactly zero to fly him back now instead of hours from now. The gate agent said no. Do you think that the president of the airline would have made the same decision? Do you think he would have wanted a valuable customer to spend four hours seething about the airline when he could have just walked right onto the plane? Do you think the president would have wanted to see his valuable brand equity wasted in such a stupid way? I doubt that very seriously, but the president wasn't there. A gate agent having a really bad day was there instead. You, on the other hand, are the president of your company, and you have a lot of interaction with your customers. You make policy, so you'll never lose someone over a stupid rule. You can use the power and the flexibility to make yourself irresistible to demanding customers. Low overhead. You work out of your house with a simple phone system. No business affairs or department. Very little insurance. No company car and volunteer labor. If you can't make it much more cheaply than the big guys, you've either picked the wrong product or you're about going wrong going uh, going about it the wrong way. Even though big companies are big in scale, they still have to turn a profit on each and every product they sell or pay the consequences sooner or later. The guy who's losing money on every order shipped and trying to make it up in volume is in for a rude awakening. By leveraging your small business, you can often undercut a bigger competitor, especially if the product or service you create doesn't require a lot of fancy machinery. Let's talk time. The big companies don't have a lot of freedom in the way they deal with time. When you have to pay off the bankers every month, please the stock market, grow according to a schedule. There isn't the flexibility to do things on the right schedule. Sometimes they've got to rush things, and other times they hold things back. You, on the other hand, you're a stealth marketer. No one's watching you. Sometimes when it counts, you'll be 10 times faster than the big guys. But when you can make a difference by taking your time, you will, and it will show. You can't win if you're not in the game. A lot of the manifesto, is about survival a true startup worries about survival all the time why because if you fail it's back to the company cubicle to work to do something for somebody else until you can get enough scratch together to try it again startups aren't always rational I mean for some of us like me it's almost an addiction the excitement the sheer thrill of building something overwhelms the desire To play it safe. It's a manifesto about how to make the odds work in your favor and how to keep playing it until you win. Coming up with a brilliant idea for a business is not as nearly as important as finding a business model that works. What's a business model? Well the classic MBA phrase describes how you set up a business so you can get your money out of it. Um, A business model is a machine It's a method. It's a plan for extracting money from a system. Um, Here's another example, a simpler one. If you buy ice cream sandwiches from a wholesaler, you put them in a refrigerated truck, you drive them to the nearest beach, and then you sell them at retail, you make money on every ice cream sandwich you sell. I did this in school, by the way. I didn't make a lot of money, but I did gain some weight. At first, it's... Isn't such a profitable venture. But then you add another layer. You buy cases and cases of ice cream sandwiches from a distributor, and then you put them in 20 trucks, and then you hire high school kids to sell them, and you get half the money. And suddenly you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. If you go one step further, you buy directly from the manufacturer at an even lower price. You put your label on the sandwiches, you load up 200 trucks, and then you load up a fleet, administrator, insurance policies, and a thousand other things. But now you've built yourself a business. So let's think about a few really important things on distribution to start with. Where is your product sold and who is the ultimate consumer? And what middlemen are involved? On sales, who's selling it for you and how are they compensated? On pricing, what do wholesalers and retailers and consumers pay? On production... How do you make it? And on materials, if there are any, where do you get those to sell? On positioning, which is really important, how do the ultimate users position the product in their minds? On marketing, how do consumers find out about it? And what are the barriers to entry and how do you scale it? These pinpoints, distribution, sales, pricing, production, materials, if any, positioning, marketing, the barriers, how do you scale, they all connect with each other. One is not more important than the other. They are literally equally important. And any one of those things can make things fail. And this is why we think, oh, geez, we got such a great idea. Can't we just take this thing to the next level? Why doesn't everybody see what I see? It's not that it's the vision that gets in the way. It's the, hey, did you think about these Uh, seven or eight items that I just mentioned as being critical to the success of the business. They should be profitable. You'd be surprised at how many people start a business that lose money on every product and then try to make it up in volume. The lemonade stand that you ran when you were seven was a great lesson because you need to make money to stay in business. The only thing is that when you're seven, your mom gives you lemons and they're free. And the, the other thing to think about here is that there's almost no business in pro- that's typically profitable on the very first day. The baker's got to buy ovens, pay the rent, purchase the ingredient, uh, the ingredients. The consultant, they need business cards and brochures and a website. The question is, how long before profitability? Write down a target date. If you go past it, figure out how to fix that problem or quit. Staying in a losing business because you're already lost a lot of money is a bad business strategy. Learn how to detect the factors to change a business from profitable to unprofitable. If you're contracted to deliver goods at a rate which your suppliers can raise their prices on you, you've just become a very risk-taking middleman. There's a great cartoon of a mathematician doing a complicated proof on a blackboard. The board's covered with all sorts of squiggles and symbols, and then at the bottom it says, and then the miracle happens, followed by the end of the proof. Business models can't depend on miracles any more than mathematics can. Every once in a while, a business comes along that creates its own model. And I could tell you that it's infinitely better to have one of those before you start. Using my ice cream example, the business just doesn't work if implicit in the business model is the fact that you are going to lose money on every ice cream sandwich and make it up by selling more. That sort of whacked out thinking only works on the internet. And even then, it doesn't work for long. Something else to consider do you want to be a freelancer or do you want to be an entrepreneur? As you're Considering different business models, you need to ask yourself the critical question, Uh, and this is the moment of truth, and being honest now will save you a ton of heartache later. The difference, a freelancer sells his or her talents. While she or he may have a few employees, basically he or she's doing a job without a boss, not running a business, uh, layout artists, writers, consultants, editors, landscapers, architects, translators, Um, musicians, they're all freelancers. There's no exit strategy. There's no huge pot of gold, just a pleasure and that satisfaction of making your own hours and being your own boss. An entrepreneur is trying to build something bigger than he or she uh, themselves. They take calculated risks and focus on growth. An entrepreneur is willing to receive little pay, work long hours, take on great risk in exchange for the freedom to make something big, something that has real market value. If you buy a Subway franchise hoping to work just as little as possible and get very rich, you're in for a huge disappointment. The number of business models that don't support absentee management of most Subways, uh, you, the franchisee, need to be the manager too. Contrast this with the entrepreneur who invents a new kind of photo booth and then mortgages everything he owns and borrows the rest. To build a company with 60 employees, and he does that in less than a year. And if it works and hits a home run, it influences the lives of people. If it fails, he's out of the game for the inning or two, and like all good entrepreneurs, he'll be back. But both situations are often a tremendous opportunity to the right person. And millions of people are delighted that they left their jobs to become a freelancer or an entrepreneur. But for you, Only one of them will do, and you got to figure out which one. The entrepreneur is comfortable raising money, hiring, firing, renting office space, more sometimes than you need right now. The entrepreneur must dream big and persuade others to share their dream. The freelancer, on the other hand, can focus on the craft. They can uh, easily build their business by doing great work consistently. The focus on freelancers and early-stage entrepreneurs It's designed to show how to thrive and survive beyond raising money because if you bootstrap yourself successfully, you'll find that bankers, angels, and investors are more likely to give you the money that you need to grow. Thanks for joining us this week on the Awesome Up Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on iTunes and other podcast platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show.